Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonner Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. Hello. Today's conversation takes us on a journey through both time and space, from the Calchaki Valley here in Argentina to the Blackwater Valley in Ireland, from Chinese-style struggle sessions in modern American culture to Venezuelan-style inflation on the horizon for us all, from the boneheaded, malevolved, and ill-formed ideas of the Dark Ages to the coming Katastrophenhaus looming large in our futures. Today we take a look at everything from the illusion of free money to the advent of free market money, from Dogecoin to Ford Motor Company, from bad ideas to real wealth and plenty more besides. Such is the breadth of conversation one might reasonably expect when sitting down with none other than Bill Bonner, a man of a great many interests and insights, a few of which he was kind enough to share with us today. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bill up next. Mate, how are you doing in, um, is it, is it Yogel? Yogel? How do I No, no, it's Yol. Yol, oh, Yol, a silent. Yol, yeah. What, what is going on? It's almost like French, all these extra uh, superfluous extra. consonants and. <laughs> yeah. Well, Irish is very complicated. You know, I tried to learn it. I started to learn it, but it's very, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's an Indo-European language, but it's not a, what do you call it? Uh, it's not a Germanic or Latin language, so it's just to, it's a total puzzlement to to outsiders. Yeah, I'd I'd been reading recently that during the um, um, Charles Stuart Parnell and the Irish separatist uh, movement, they were looking to return yeah. to their their native tongue, and that didn't meet with much success. <laughs> pro, pro, well, they, they, the difficult they kind of. Yeah, they, it's very difficult because it's so hard to learn. And the uh, Irish students, school children, are now obliged to spend 12 years learning Irish. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's on all the, all the street signs and, and, go, yeah, and government it's compulsory. papers and things. And if you get a job with the government, you got to pass an Irish test. It <laughs> <laughs> eliminates That's, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> So, uh, mate. So, how how are you doing there? It, it, what's the situation with as far as you can go for you know socialize and oh, you know parties, what or is it kind of strange? We were locked down. For, we were locked down for nine months in the Kalchaki Valley, and now we're locked down here in the Blackwater Valley. <laughs> valley to valley. <laughs> I don't know what it is. We seem to hit these. <laughs> we're locked down, but in in both cases, it's perfectly agreeable because. Uh, you know, we're not in the middle of a city or anything. And even in the right. city, we were in Dublin the other day 
and people were out and about. It's just that they closed the shop so you can't go sit down in a restaurant, but everybody's got carry out and people are out. Mm. And it's a very funny thing. And here they have police barricades too, just like in uh, Argentina. So you go down the road, you have to stop and the police are, are polite. You know, they, they say, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And we say, well, we're going such and such. Well, why are you going there? Mm. <laughs> and then you, have, then you need a pretty good answer. And uh, it is, it, the best thing is at my age, I can say, well, I'm going to see my doctor. And I say that in a grumpy kind of way. With a little, so bit, they, of a, little that, bit of a cough. They, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Stand back. Stand back, kid. I'm going to <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we had, uh, we had my daughter's birthday party in, in the park here, just where yeah. I want to say this, as you know, and, and we were outside, you know, and there's a, there's a breeze blowing and, uh, and, you know, blowing through the trees and you know, leaves falling and, and it's all very agreeable. And then we had, you know, some of the local, I don't know what they're called, park attendants or some kind of, yeah, some kind of officials come along and say to us, um, you know, we had, we had the, the little table set up with the cake and some, you know, some yeah. fizzy drinks for the kids and come along and say, well, everybody in the park has to wear uh, barbecue, you have to wear your face mask, yeah, and you can't, yeah. have, you can't have any food or drink uh, at the party, which meant that, you know, wow, a, a, a six-year-old six year can't have cake. Or, Of course, <laughs> we went ahead as scofflaws as we are and, and handed out the cake in. Oh, good, good, good flagrant disregard well for the uh, i'm still taking spanish uh, lessons and i take them with a woman in salta who is a teacher in a local school and she says that uh it's very sad she says in school all the kids have those barbijos on and she has a barbijo and, and also a face mask in plastic yeah now, this is idiotic for a lot of reasons. First, she's about 22 years old. The kids are six. Nobody <laughs> in that group is going to succumb to the COVID. <laughs> it's just, exactly. But she says she's been teaching at that, that now for about three months this year, and she still doesn't know what the kids look like. She's never seen them. Yeah. You know, I mean, and this is the same, you know, we just started uh, our daughter's school this year, uh, obviously, uh, because of the whole of last year, we were confined to our apartment here in the city. Yeah. And so our daughter went along and she's meeting all of her brand new classmates. It's her first year at school in grade one. And none of them know what one another's teeth look like or what a smile or a frown <laughs> looks like. Yeah. It's absolutely, I mean, Very it's, funny. I think we, ha now, we haven't she, really discovered she, the, the true damage of this yet. Is she in a Spanish language uh, school? Uh, she is. They have a bilingual school and then it, it moves to trilingual when I think they hit uh, third or fourth grade and then they start learning either French or German. So, um, Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those gifts as, as somebody who's yeah. learned, well, learned uh, Spanish such to the extent that I have in, in later years. Yeah. Uh, I, I watch my, my six-year-old daughter, you know, correct my subjunctive conjugations with ease and embarrassing her yeah. dad at the party. So uh, we're, we're happy to give her that gift. Yeah, those, those subjunctive conjugations are complex in uh, Spanish. They're, they're, yeah, they're not intuitive to we English speakers. No, no. But I, I, I wish I spoke uh, Irish Gaelic because... Uh, that's a language you could speak and nobody would know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you could, Even you other know, Gaelic speakers, depending on. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was the Yeats and a few others that were, that were looking at 
taking Ireland in that um, that separatist direction. And then, yeah, then yeah. Joyce said, "No, no, we're gonna we're gonna stick with Eng English." And then he stuck with English in a very peculiar way. For anyone who's who's familiar with Ulysses, yeah, yeah, that's a whole yeah, different kind of kind of. He went on his own thing there. Yeah. What they did was they created areas where, in addition to the fact that the, that the whole country needs a, a to learn uh, Gaelic, they have areas where they only speak Gaelic. And uh, most of those areas are way out in the West where nobody goes. But one of them just happens to be very near my house. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so there's there's one pub there where they speak Gaelic, and you go in there and they look down on you if you don't speak Gaelic. And you know, also yeah. they happen to be. I think there's a big IRA component there. <laughs> so uh, yes. if they think you're English, they're likely to they're likely to try to blow up your car or something. Well, that's, <laughs> yes, but they you you won't know about it. They'll have they'll have done no. all their planning in a different <laughs> language. <laughs> that's right. Never know. I wanted to ask you actually because we, we bought tickets. As you know, we've been stranded down here uh, yeah. since, well, for all of 2020. So the last yeah. time we were abroad, uh, my little family was when we were stateside back for Christmas in 2019, uh, which is the longest I think I've been in one country since. Yeah, maybe I was a teenager um, many moons ago. But uh, but we <laughs> bought. <laughs> We bought tickets to the U.S. last night to go and see some family and, you know, things are opening up gradually. Yeah. And the one thing that everybody tells me, and I'm interested to hear your take on this, because having spent, you know, as you just mentioned, you've you spent uh, so much time in the Kalchaki uh, last year. Everybody that I speak to in the U.S., oh, we bought tickets. We're coming up. See you soon. They say the first thing they say is, oh, it's very, very different from when you last saw yeah, it yeah. in 2019. Yeah. So, uh, a, are they are they pulling my leg, or is it is it really a different country culturally? And can I expect a little culture shock? What do you what do you think? Well, I think I think it depends on where you go. And we'll be in uh, Texas, you sent me something. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, mostly you know in Texas and Florida and places like that, Arkansas, South Dakota. I don't think there's been too much cultural change yet. But you sent me that article. I think it was from the uh, an elite about an elite school in New York City. That's right. Yeah. And there's a whole different world going on there, where they have instituted what is really the equivalent of the Chinese struggle sessions. You know, where people are are meant to confess that they have, at one point in their lives, been a racist and still are and that they have to do something about it transform themselves transform the institutions that is big too it's just that that part of it doesn't now affect many people's lives that's a fairly narrow narrow section of the population the elite if you go to universities you'll find it and you'll find it in cultural institutions like museum boards and all those things and in some corporations where the the board of directors is trying so hard to be politically correct that they're trying to get a diverse school a diverse board and uh in fact there's only one corporation in america publicly listed that doesn't have a woman on its board <laughs> and they're they're trying to correct that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so, so anyway if you stay away from a lot of those places and those people you probably won't notice much much difference mm. but that that but saying that i mean the 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 intellectual uh, current is very depressing in america because 
this uh, racism and white supremacism has replaced the bourgeois capitalism of Russia and, uh, and China, where it's what you're accused of before you have to struggle. You have to change. You have to go to these re-education camps and so on. And they're, they're not very pleasant at all. Yeah. And so it seems like, I mean, even if one doesn't expect to be affected directly, i.e. they might not have their livelihood stolen out from under them themselves, it seems like it's infected quite a large swath of the country when we look at, okay, we've got academies, we've got uh, public institutions, we've got corporate America. We see every other week, there's a new story of um, I saw one just a couple of weeks ago, General Motors CEO, um, uh, the, the, a group called, I think it's called the Black Owned Media Group, had taken out a one-page ad in the De Detroit Free Press accusing the General Motors CEO of racism because their advertising spend at GM didn't mirror exactly the demographic uh, proportion, you know, the, the the racial breakdown in the country. So they yeah, spent yeah. less than 13% or something on their advertising, ipso facto racism. And they, you know, it's it's quite galling that in, in 2021, you can take out such a libelous uh, article in a free press, in a major paper, and, and then, you know, expect immediate capitulation, which I think is what happened. Yeah, well, it, that's, that's the trend. And I didn't want, we, I was laying out for you where these trends were going on. I didn't mention the press, but the press is the leader, probably the leader in this trend towards the of traditional culture in America. And not just America, it's true in Europe too. The vilification of what we regard as our our uh, heritage from the Greeks and Romans, <laughs> you know, yeah. our, our European cultural heritage is now seen as a bad thing. And uh, if this goes on, I presume it will go the way it, it did in Russia and China, where it's used by the elite who want to take control of things. It's used as a way of levering themselves into power while pretending to be in the service of the minority, minority and the uh, underprivileged groups. Of course, in Russia and China, that was the working class, the work, you know, they were pretending to create a paradise for the working class, which, by the way, did not happen. <laughs> it just didn't work out that <laughs> way. Flash. Yeah. And I have a feeling that the paradise for the underprivileged is not going to be the paradise that they're hoping for. Yeah. So you've, you've written uh, extensively and recently about uh, a, a potential return to the Dark Ages, to the Middle Ages, and and underscoring really how how hard won these lessons of history are, and on the flip side, how easily they can be lost. I mean, you're wandering yeah, around, well, and you're yeah, go on. Well, there's a basic confusion and easily an easy confusion between the progress of of civil society. And the progress that we think of in, in technological terms. And that's why I don't think when I say I, we're going back to the Dark Ages, I don't mean that we're going back to the Dark Ages as the Dark Ages were. We're going back to a new Dark Age because fundamentally civil society follows the, the DNA of, of, of people and people have these things in them that are, are that they're, as I say, you know, they're neither bad they're neither always bad nor always good, but always subject to influence. 
And influences have a way of being cyclical. And sometimes they, you know, you, who would have thought if you go back just a few years, I'm just talking about a little bit more than half a century to uh, Germany, which was at the time the most sophisticated, most technologically advanced country in the world, maybe in competition with America, maybe not. But that was the home of the great philosophers, the great uh, geniuses of science and mathematics and so on. And within the space of a single generation or less, actually, it was a space of maybe 10, 15 years, the country had been con 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 uh, had been changed into something that was uh, totally uh, barbaric, absolutely barbaric with very, very stupid ideas about everything, even the implementation of technology. So they were taking what they, uh, you know, their technological skills and making tanks out of it and things that were not going to serve the benefit of the German people at all. And then even when it became apparent to any thinking person that they were barking up the wrong tree, I mean, they were, they were, by 1942, it was clear they were going to lose that war. It was clear they were going to lose. There were no way that they could beat the, all the Soviet Union, America, England, all the might of the world amassed against them, and they were quickly running out of men and material. And what did they do? Well, a smart person would say, whoa, whoa, boy, did we make a mistake. <laughs> they, <laughs> they'd be backtracking right away, you know, backing up all the way to Berlin and saying, okay, we're sorry about that. What can we do to make amends? But no, that was not what they did. They did something which is a really really stupid they continued the war for another three years at a cost of something like six million more casualties that's just un un incredible very very stupid so what we see is that even the most sophisticated both in terms of culture and technology are the most capable of doing the stupidest things that you can imagine and so what we're seeing is that cyclical trend coming back i think in uh, in, in the united states of america which is the leader of the uh, modern trends. And so a, it has the reserve currency. And I think a lot of the problems that we face can be traced somewhat to the reserve currency. But anyway, what I see is that there's a cyclical pattern to the human activity, but there's not a cyclical pattern to technology. Technology goes on and so that people today have nuclear bombs. Now they may have they may have uh, dark age brains, but they have enlightened, uh, light technology. They have bombs that are really light up the world. Right. So, uh, so what we're going to see, I think, is uh, something fascinating, which is the uh, the, uh, the darkest of uh, dark age kind of cyclical trends in terms of civil society meeting up with some of the the highest levels of technology that. Well, they are the highest levels of technology we've ever had, and that includes things like uh, our, our medium of our media of communications, you know, the Facebook and the Twitters and all those sort of things, and the currency that I know you're an expert on, Bitcoin and the, the cryptos. You know, those are the most most technologically advanced of any currency ever created by mankind, and those are coming into direct co conflict, perhaps not conflict, perhaps uh, connivance. <laughs> with these trends where a lot of people want to use those those technological tools for ends which i think are fundamentally retrograde uncivilized barbaric and probably fatal yeah i mean it's it's an it's a very interesting uh confluence of 
of trends that we have here where I'm, I'm not sure that, that I mean, we, we came potentially pretty close during the Cold War era where we had truly apocalyptic, you know, messianic level um, capabilities to end our own species coupled with some pretty dastardly, you know, ridiculous ideology in, in, in mm -hmm, the form mm -hmm. uh, at, at that particular time. But so the, the question that you, that you got to at the very, uh, the very germ of this, um, and I'll have to pardon that pun, but when people were thinking about Germany, they were thinking about, okay, this is the, this is the country that gave us, you know, Bach and Beethoven and, and Brahms and Schopenhauer and all the rest. If it could happen there, I mean, I think people assume that, okay, if we go back far enough in time, we'll see some absurd atrocities and barbaric happenings. And, you know, if we go to some outer islands in the Pacific we, that are not so far removed from cannibalism or whatever, but this was the height of culture. So uh, I, I guess my question is, and, and perhaps you've partially answered it with regards to the, what you and I have sometimes called anantiodroma or the cyclical nature of, of, uh, of human undertakings, but... But why is it that we can't seem to rid ourselves of demonstrably terrible ideas and ideas that end up in mass graves? Why, why, why don't we, why don't we, you know, shed that skin and, and say like those, those ideas belong on, on the, you know, in the, in the trash heap? Well, I mean, it's, I think it's just because we are who we are. We, we, <laughs> none of us, none of us has an original idea. You know, that, that, is, that never happens. We have, and in fact, none of us has an actual idea <laughs> because, <laughs> because everything that comes to our minds comes from somewhere, not us. I mean, we, we're, we have instinct, you know, when you, you know, fall in love, even the word, and by the way, this is like the most fundamental thing in human life. Even the word fall in love is not, you don't go into love. You don't decide to be in love. You don't make a decision. You fall, you do trip, you fall. <laughs> and so those are the most basic things that we do. We do things that we don't control. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm sure philosophers have thought a lot more about this than I have. But what I've noticed is that there's a lot of uncontrolled activity going on and people can't help themselves. It's not that they are capable of sitting down, rationally thinking through, well, what is good for mankind here? And then imagine the Germans sitting down in 1939, hmm, what is good for mankind here? No, they didn't have that conversation. <laughs> and then a famous cartoon, which I quite always liked, there's two Germans, they're in a foxhole, you know, a trench in, in some horrible place in Russia. And one of them turns to the other and says, what do you think, Hans? Do you think that we're the bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that never came up. It has something to do with the, with the skull and crossbones on our belt buckle. Maybe yeah. is there well, something? Why do we have that? What's amiss here? God mit uns. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> and yet there they, you know, there they were. And they, they came up with all these ideas and controlled thought and they controlled you know, in Germany that you know, they decided that the Jews were the bad people then. And the Jews were their misfortune. The Jews had to be eliminated. The Jews had to be kept out. There are laws against uh, uh, marrying Jews, laws against Jews doing this, Jews doing that. Well, well now we're, we're in the United States, we're developing all these kind of rules and things about white supremacists. You know? <laughs> Certain ideas you're not supposed to have and in elite institutions, not so much in 
in uh, they haven't gotten down to the common man yet, but they have a way of going down over time. But in elite institutions, the people are not allowed to think to think certain things. You know, there's certain things they're all supposed to believe. Just as in Germany, they were all supposed to believe in the Ubermensch and in the destiny of the country and so on. And they have these ideas which are fundamentally idiotic, but everybody is supposed to believe them, and they do. People fall in line. And in Germany, for example, the Germans weren't, I mean, everybody likes to say they're bad people, but they weren't bad people any more than anybody else's. You know, they're subject to influence, and the influence at the time was this very curious mixture of things and diabolical mixture of things, but diabolical mixtures come along. And right now in, in, in America, not just America, the rest of the world too, we have this diabolical mixture of what looks like free money. <laughs> and with free money, there's no limit on what you can do. And so now we have the government kind of in America running kind of wild with all these programs and things, and now considering reparations. And you imagine what kind of what kind of bad feeling that that would give rise to reparations or paying some people, not other people. Why and who, why, you know, would you, you have to prove that your great grandfather was a slave. And what if your great, great grandfather was a slave owner? I mean, well, how do you reconcile that kind of stuff? It's impossible. You don't do that kind of stuff in a normal world. In a normal world, you have limits. And by the way, that is the key because as Freud says, civilization is restraint civilization and its money civilized money keeps you from making a fool of yourself because it tells you no I, you know i really don't like this guy i think i'm going to kill this guy i really don't like him he's in, in my face he's just annoying me but in a civilized world you you say or somebody says to you uh i don't think i'd do that if i were you <laughs> that's a bad idea a bad idea he says, well, it seems like a good idea to me. Well, it just save that thought, but just don't do it. Likewise, you know, I think I'll invade Russia. I think I'll invade Russia. What do you think, Hans? We shall we invade Russia? And somebody could say, well, I don't think that's such a hot idea. You know, I'm, you know I don't know. This could go bad. You know, <laughs> Maybe let's at least not do it during the winter. <laughs> not in the winter. Not, not in the winter, Hans. I'm not doing that. But uh, why don't we invade Mallorca? The weather's yeah, yeah. better. <laughs> Beaches are nicer. <laughs> anyway, a lot of stupid things that happen in life, and and people are the same stupid people that they've always been, and mm -hmm. uh, they're not. They're just not bred for it. People are. I had a whole theory hypothesis about this in one of my books, which was that uh, that uh, you know humans were bred for a certain kind of life that existed, like. 10,000 years ago, because we were bred over millions of years in a very, very different setting. And it did not include uh, Facebook. It, right. it did not include <laughs> a lot of things that we live with now. Now we have news and 24-hour news cycle telling us what's going on in the world and we're supposed to react to it. And so the common man is supposed to have an opinion. He's supposed to have an opinion about Israeli politics, about uh you know, whether to go to war with China or all these kind of crazy things so he couldn't possibly know about, but he's supposed to, and, and he's just not equipped for it. Nobody is. We're not equipped to live that way. We're not equipped for the life that we are presumably stuck in today. And inevitably, we, I mean, individuals collectively make a huge mistakes when they get in that situation. Mm. Yeah, it makes me think that. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, I think we're well. There's a lot to unpack there, but I, it yeah, seems yeah. As, it seems as though we've got one foot on our kind of biological evolutionary rail, and we've got our other foot on our on the technological evolutionary rail, and they are diverging very very quickly, rending us asunder. <laughs> so what? So you, you you mentioned the the advent of these these different medias, uh, in particular social media. And I know you that that you know there's been a lot of um, well we're just starting now to do some research and unpack the effects if if you can but yeah we're we're just starting to measure the effects of some of these social media uh, machines on particularly the brains of young teens who are just uh, yes. growing up with this these are the first this is the first generation who are entering. You know the the big daunting world of say middle school or high school, where yeah. already you know they're they've got malleable brains and they've got uh, you know kind of wacky ideas that maybe need to be banged in shape by their elders in the first place. Yeah. But uh, but these people are now getting into into school with you know with their own sort of choose your own adventure reality, uh, where they can find facts to yeah. fit any theory that they want to. And what we're seeing is a whole generation of people growing up with you know, levels of depression and suicide and self-harm and all this kind of stuff, which is really heretofore uh, kind of unseen. But um, I, I, I wanted to bring this back to the market because I know this is our, our regular beat. But uh, before we get into the specifics of that, I'm fascinated by people who, who are fascinated by markets. And, and you're someone who's been writing about this for, for four decades. So we'll, we'll get into the specifics of it in a second. But do you have a theory or, or any thoughts on 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 why we we find this show uh, almost almost a kind of religious narrative for the human condition? I mean, it's got our our greed, our fear, our hubris, our ingenuity. It's it's got it all in there. What what is it that fascinates you about it in particular? And then what do you think captures just the general imagination of the public? Well, I don't, I'm me, I mean, I think it's, you, you just said it, it's, it's all there. I mean, every, uh, you know, it's the, it's the sound and fury. It's the roar of the grease paint and the smell of the crowd. It's all there. It's infinitely entertaining, infinitely amusing, infinitely instructive. You know, you have to look at it, see who's doing that. What does this all mean? I mean, you could, I guess that's true in anything. You could be a professor of psychology and find it in a whole different context. But in the passing parade of uh, of the markets, you know, we're talking about people doing things, taking gambles, guessing about things, trying to create businesses, innovating, saving their money, not saving their money. Everything is there. And along with every dopey idea that's ever come along, you know, people believe they can get rich by printing pieces of paper or they can get rich by Investing, the, you know, the, 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 the pretense of the investment world is phenomenal to me that people believe that, that they can give their money to a total stranger and that he's going to give more of it back to them. Why would he do that? How likely is that? It's extremely unlikely. The very fact, stranger. That <laughs> happens enough to, to, you know, but by the way, just to, they just, I'm not saying they arrested somebody because I don't really know what the status of it is, but a company, there is a company that sells a program for you to run your own kind of casino online. And when they, when you look at the, how it works, it's all revealed. 
And, you know, you can buy this thing, this package, so that you can run your own casino. And it says, you know, how to set the return, the rate of returns. And in that, in those documents, it says, if you have a rich client on the other end, you set, you adjust the rate of return so that he gets a lot of his money back. Why do you do that? Because you want him to get used to pay, playing your game. Uh-huh. And you know that there's a lot there. So you want him to like it. And then you gradually, once he's convinced that he's making money, you turn up the dial. This is really I mean, this the is, big fish. Is, <laughs> to me, this was really interesting <laughs> because this is the way it, it actually works. That uh, there's a kind of, it's a game. You know, it's all, it's all part of the great cycle of life where you make money and then you've got to figure out how to get rid of it. You can't take it to the grave. You've got to get rid of it. And thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, there are all these very helpful people like this guy who's got his <laughs> program for a casino who find ways to help you do that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very altruistic undertaking of this kind stranger to relieve very, you of that, very, that burden very, of wealth. <laughs> it, it, it slims it down right away, right away. <laughs> right. So, so to <laughs> So that's a great analogy. But so, so talking of the of these cycles, both in uh, in society at large, and as they are kind of projected onto this this passing parade, this market that we're also so kind of fascinated by. Uh, you wrote recently about um, about how not all booms are created equally, and that there are some booms which are founded on you know, good, honest, hard work and and capital formation and, you know, the construction of, of sound businesses with, with good paths to profitability and great ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's another type of boom, <laughs> the crack up boom, which is, which is, is, you know, built on shifting sands and, and, you know, funny money and, and, uh, and, and terrible ideas. Um, I'm wondering as we're looking at, you know, record high, uh, quote unquote, record yeah. high, uh, yeah. you know, in the, in the stock market, which, which of those two booms you're, you feel like we're tracking here and, and what we can expect in the, well, in the near yeah, future. Yeah, I've been saying this is, this is a boom, boom, kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> this is, and, and we're back to the Germans, you know, the Germans have words for everything. And uh, I think it was Ludwig von Mises who had the word, Katastrophenhausen, mm. and I don't speak German, so I'm probably saying that wrong. But the idea is that the Katastrophenhausen, it was it goes up, but it, it's a catastrophe. And he calls it a crack up boom in English, and the crack up boom is the boom that you get with credit. Mm. Very different. You can make a boom by actually working hard, saving your money, reinvesting your money, and keep continuing to do that, and you make real gains. The real gains are spread over the whole society because people have to earn money, they have to spend money. It's all, it's a healthy boom. But the catastrophic house is a different thing. It's a crack up boom where the government prints money. And then this is all a big illusion, obviously, because the government can't print wealth. It can just print pieces of paper that are supposed to represent wealth, but there isn't any wealth there. So it's a total fraud on everybody. But when you get those pieces of paper, just as Americans are doing right now with their stimmy money, they think they've got real money and they go out to a store and the shopkeeper thinks they've got real money. And so they trade that fake money for real products and services. And this creates a whole boom like boom like uh, atmosphere 
but it's fundamentally fraudulent because these people really don't have any more money. They haven't contributed anything. They haven't made anything. They haven't added anything to the sum total of goods and services that, are, that constitute real wealth. And it's to, just a total fraud. It's I like to say, you know, it's like you take your car to a parking lot and the car parking lot attendant gives you a, a piece of paper, gives you a little piece of cardboard, says your car is in the lot. You have the right to that car. That piece of paper represents real wealth. It represents a real car. And but and imagine what would happen if the guy running the parking lot said, well, this, I'll, I'll just print up some more of these things and hand them out. And so he says, guy going down the street, he gives him a parking, it gives him a ticket that represents your car. And so you get back to the lot and somebody's driving off in your car. <laughs> That's what inflation is, really. You're just printing up more tickets to the same number of cars. It's all a big fraud. It ends up in, a, in it ends up in, mostly it ends up in violence because people get mad when they see you driving off in their car. And so the whole thing is just, it, it's a, that's where the catastrophic part comes in. <laughs> the German put, Germans they can't put the, they can't put the verb in front of the noun in the right way. So it's all kind of mixed up. But, but the idea is once you get going, once you get going and you just defraud people with fake money, it, it always goes bad because it's a fraud. You're stealing and people know people don't know exactly who's stealing from whom. And it gets very confusing. And then they start blaming other people. You know, it's the Chinese, it's the Jews, it's who knows what. And it gets to be a very bad scene. Yeah. And presumably the, the parking attendant, he might he might start off printing up uh, claims on Jeeps, but it's not too long before he's printing claims on Lamborghinis and Italian that's, sports that's right. cars. <laughs> why not? Why not have a Ferrari if you could have a, a Fiat? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Inevitable. And so, uh, as you're tracking this this well, um, you know, historically well documented phenomenon, and and you've you've written obviously of of the 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 assignats and the and the the paper marks in Weimar Germany, and this this long laundry list of instances where exactly this kind of uh, bad uh, inflationist down here in Argentina, uh, of course, this this bad monetary uh, policy comes home to roost. Uh, I guess people who were getting these stimmy checks and who were watching, you know, sky high stock market prices and watching the price of their NFTs go through the roof or whatever it happens to be. Um, do you have any kind of metrics by which you look at um, at indicators for inflation in the real world, in, in prices of, of lumber or iron or, or raw goods or, or something that we can see where it's where it might sort of tick off into uh, in, well, in, in the, the, the boom before the car boom, in other words? <laughs> no. Well, no, the answer is no, <laughs> it, it, because it's infinitely complex. It's not as simple as that. You never know where it's going to turn up. If you're looking for signs of inflation, just look at the stock market. Look at Tesla. Look at uh, look at the uh, Pixel that sold for one point four million dollars. Look at uh, look at that right now. There's a deli, a deli in New Jersey that served something like fourteen thousand dollars worth of sandwiches last year. Went public and is now worth more than a million, hundred million dollars. It's just, it's crazy, just totally crazy. But the total crazy. Oh, or look at uh, the Doja, the Doga coin, or the, that thing is now. That market is worth about fifty 
billion dollars, which is more than the Ford Motor Company, which is rather astounding. And so what happens is because remember the guys handing out those uh, those tickets on the cars in his lot? Well, pretty soon nobody knows what anything is worth because you've got a ticket on a Ferrari. You go there. The Ferrari is not there. What's your ticket worth? I don't know. Maybe the Ferrari mm-hmm. will come back. You don't know. Nobody knows anything because the money is, is fake. And so you get all these. And, and imagine the guy which is easy to imagine because I've seen this in my own family. The guy, <laughs> the guy bought Bitcoin and his father told him not to do it. His father said, no, nah, that'll never work. He buys Bitcoin and guess what? The Bitcoin goes crazy. And so now he's got a lot of money in Bitcoin. He's thinking, gee, what do I do with all this money? <laughs> and he's thinking, well, I ought to buy some because I don't know, this Bitcoin is not doing me any good. So and then he tries to figure out how to convert it to something, which is not that easy. And he's got a. Anyway, the point thing is that once you get involved in that kind of funny money, everything's a little funny. I mean, if you've got you put in a, uh, and we were talking about this early to, earlier today by email. You put in if when you started writing about Bitcoin, if somebody had said, "Well, that sounds kind of interesting. I'm going to take a thousand dollars and put it in a Bitcoin." That person today would have, I think you calculated, it was something like $7 million. <laughs> and so he thinks to himself, he thinks to himself, what, what exactly is that? <laughs> you know, mm. Did I earn that money? How did I earn it? And if I didn't earn it, what is it? Did somebody give it to me? What, what exactly does that mean that I've got $7 million? All I did was put $1,000 because Joel Bowen was talking about this crazy thing. And I thought it was idiotic, but I thought, well, hell, I wanted to find out about it. So I put the money in there. And now I got $7 million. What do I do with that money? I, right. I, you know, I wouldn't feel right doing anything serious with it. I think I'll buy an NFT. I think I'll buy, maybe I'll buy some other cryptocurrency. Who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky again. But anyway, that kind of mentality where you don't, this doesn't seem real. And people yeah. do this all the time with, uh, you know, they win the lottery. The money doesn't seem real. They know they didn't earn it. And pretty soon they're buying all kinds of crazy things. And, and after a year or two, normally they're broke. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's very, I was just about to say the people who have these multi hundred million dollar windfalls that fall yep. into their, into their, their trailer, they, that doesn't, they, they soon end up back in the trailer more, more yeah. often than, more with, often with than luck, not. They get a double wide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I will say to the uh, to the to the indictment of corrupting the morality of listeners uh, in in past uh, investment conferences, I seem to recall uh, giving speeches uh, about Bitcoin in in twenty eleven and twenty twelve. And and don't worry, Bill, nobody took my advice. There were there were shaking <laughs> heads. <laughs> yes, everybody <laughs> continued making honest money. No, not too many people got on board. Although I have received some letters since saying we all oh, thought you were like, crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I, I don't wish to um, argue that I should be exonerated from that charge either, but on, on different grounds. Um, <clears throat> but it, it is interesting to, to contemplate the fact that had, had the Feds done their job, had the Feds, uh, you know, kept their word, in other, in other words, had a dollar been worth a dollar of gold, or had they had their money tethered to something real and honest and actual, then 
I dare say crypto never would have taken flight in the first place because there wouldn't have been a real world demand for it. The, the, the feds would have, right. would have been good, honest stewards of their money and, and you and I wouldn't know what a Bitcoin was, yes. probably. Well, it may have been a curiosity, may have been a curiosity, mm. but it wouldn't have been a real phenomenal the way it is now. People presume that these cryptocurrencies are going to replace the dollar. I find very unlikely in view of the volatility of the currency. It's just not that useful. What are you going to do with the currency that goes wild like that? So, but a lot of things, if it had acted to, to protect the honest money, a lot of things would be totally different. You know, the stock market would probably be about half of where it is now. Mm -hmm. The gap between the rich and the poor would not be nearly as wide as it is now. There would not be mobs of people running around the streets doing all kinds of crazy things. I mean, the people, honesty in money is kind of a like a basic, a basic building block of honesty in the civilized world. And if you don't have honest money, then the relationships, and in fact, I think it was von Mises himself wrote that, that the relation, no, it was uh, Keynes who wrote that, that when you don't have honest money, inflation undermines the relationships in a society between people who owe money, people who, un who are owed money. And yeah. by doing that, it undermines the society itself. People don't know where they stand. They don't know who's rich, who's poor, who deserves money, who doesn't deserve it, who robbed it, who stole it. And it just undermines the faith, the basic faith in the social contract. Uh, you know, the, the feeling that this airway is very bad. Yeah. Well, I think that your your point to the the volatility of, of these cryptos is certainly it, it won't be a point that's that's lost on Americans or or people who use the yen or the or the Aussie dollar or, or what have you, because for the most part, I think those people, even though their governments are are frittering away the value and integrity of those particular uh, fiat um, currencies, it, it's nothing like what they're doing in Venezuela or here in Argentina or other places around the world. So I think I think for people who who spend time as, as you do as well, Bill, down here in Argentina, um, you know, it when they see the value of their whatever Venezuelan Bolivar or or Zim dollar or or, or what have you, when they see that as being um, you know so so prone to evaporation, <laughs> all of a sudden crypto doesn't look as extremely volatile to somebody who say may be used to dealing with a pound today is worth more or less what a pound was yesterday and it'll probably be worth more or less what a pound is worth uh, a week from now. But um, anyway, different use cases around the world and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the next uh, 10 years. But uh, look, Bill, I've, I've taken up a good deal of your time here. So I'll, I'll let our listeners go uh, and say goodbye and, and you and I can maybe hang around for a couple of minutes chat afterwards. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, goodbye Cheers. to the listeners and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at bonnerprivateresearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.